This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here um, in this fabulous symposium. I will be talking about mathematics, and mathematics is perhaps one of the most abstract, complex, and precise human conceptual systems ever invented. Think about the the Euclidean point, for example. It's an entity that has only one property. That's location. No extension whatsoever, so no Euclidean point exists really objectively in the universe, and we have no biology to perceive a Euclidean point. Yet, the Euclidean point, the humble little guy, is the cornerstone of the edifice of Euclidean geometry that led to analytic geometry, non-Euclidean geometries, differential geometries, many other fields in in mathematics. So one area um, that we could look at for the origins of this fabulous um, human conceptual system, this abstract thing, is number. So to begin, consider the following. If you're presented, let's say, with this stimuli, it's very easy for us to discriminate between them. But when the amount of dots increases, it's not as easy, and we make a few more mistakes, and we make confusions. Now, the capacity to discriminate when there's only few of them is called subitizing, and it's been studied by experimental psychologists since the 1940s. So this is an ability we don't need to go to school to, and we share with many other species. Another ability is the following. If we presented, let's say, with... um, these groups of dots, black and white, when their proportions differ considerably, it's very easy for us to say which one has more, even though we don't, may not know exactly how many, but we can tell. When the proportions are closer to each other, it's a little harder and sometimes very, very difficult. So this capacity is referred to as large quantity discrimination. Now, these two capacities we share with many other species, as I was saying. So this has led to many, really, to believe that this is about now mathematics. So you would tend to see many papers and chapters and academic material talking about monkey mathematical abilities and and kids in infancy without schooling and arithmetic occurring at a single neuron level and so on and so forth, all the way to more recently, number numerical cognition in bees and other insects. Now, of course, this is academia, and then the media takes over and says, well, like the New York Times here, science section early this year, many animals can count some better than you. And I know there's some individuals in power now who also say the New York Times report on fake news these days. But that's not the only one. Sometimes we see you know, animals with tools, and we kind of lead us to think that there's some mathematical content involved. Or, let's say this one, fish as good as college students in number test, and mosquito fish can count up to 100 and count in quotes. So the whole thing as a package in this society, there's a kind of a widely accepted view that says that there's a biologically evolved capacity that is specific for number and arithmetic. And I will underline here the word specific. Now, of course, the question is, is it really the case? And there's been some debate more lately 
And part of the issue is that some of these terms are polysemous, like number, we use it for passport number, telephone number, and many other things. So what do we really mean by number? And it turns out that in the literature, the scientific literature is permeated really with underspecified conceptions of what is number, such that we can ascribe numerical and arithmetical and mathematical capacities to many other species. So let's examine this a little bit more. If we leave aside non-human animals for a moment, we can focus on human data that's been overlooked. For example, all known languages have natural quantifiers like few, several, many, and so on. But by no means they all exhibit exact quantification. A recent study about 200 languages in Aboriginal Australia from 13 different linguistic families showed that in fact almost 90% of these languages do not have a numeral beyond what we would call five. So you can't, in this culture speaking these languages, refer to seven or 12 or 19 or 23. Now, similar research has been found with uh, hunter-gatherers in, in um, Australia and Africa and South America, and I strongly recommend also the book by uh, Caleb Everett that goes more in-depth analyzing these particular cultures. Now, the point is here that when we look at human language, language by itself really does not lead to number beyond the subitizing range. So exact quantification seems to be a cultural trait, not a biological trait. So how do we get from perceiving, let's say, these dots to labeling them as, let's say, being nine or eight, whether with spoken words or with digits? Well, when we do that, we're involved in what is called symbolic reference. It's not just a purely psychophysical perception anymore. It's now another cognitive activity like symbolic reference. And we could do this with many other types of numerals, like in Spanish, nueve and ocho, or we could do Roman numerals and, and other forms and different bases in mathematics or infinite decimal notation, if you like, and so on and so forth. And there's another important property. It's they're relational and operable. So like my laptop computer here says number eight is, is that um, equivalent to the product of two and four. It's one more than seven and those things. So they're all related to each other. So really, our familiar list one, two, three um, has very specific abstract properties. Like it quantifies exactly, not in an approximate way, and it is abstract, transcending stimulus modality, visual or auditory. It has a cardinal sense, an ordinal sense, a relational um, property that we just saw, combinative, operable, and most importantly, referred to symbolically. So the number really is exact symbolic quantification. And this seems to be quite different from what we observe, let's say, with trained by humans, of course, trained animals in the lab, where you can get, for example, monkeys in painstaking training, four months, 20,000 trials to discriminate dots in a ratio three to four, only to 70% of accuracy. So it seems to be that we're in a different realm here. So to summarize here, you can look at this figure. Essentially what we have is amount of discrete stuff, let's say dots, going from center to periphery, um, increasing in amount. So what you see on your bottom, bottom left here, um, what you have is subitizing and large quantity discrimination, the two abilities we just exercised a little bit at the beginning, and we share those with many species. Now, with symbolic reference, 
there's a symbolic gap there, we can then um, label things like natural quantifiers, like many, few, and so on, and then with exact quantification, we get into what you see clockwise there in blue, which is now truly numerical. So the point is, here, what you see on the left is really about quantity perception. It's quantical abilities that we, it's biologically endowed. But in order to really get to number, we need to go across the symbolic reference, and that is not biologically evolvable. So here I'm going to borrow a quote from Terry Deacon, also a member of CARTA, who says, symbolic reference must be acquired by learning, so this occurs in the ontogeny of individuals, and lacks both the natural associations and transgenerational reproductive consequences that would make such references biologically evolvable. So exact symbolic quantification beyond the subitizing range really needs a whole apparatus, a culture that actually cares about being exact and precise. So motivated by cultural preoccupations, tracking valuables, trading, accounting, and so on. And this supported by and enhanced by tools and offloading cognition, which requires enculturation. Of course, part of that comes, and we heard already previously about this, the invention of writing about 6,000 years ago, initially, according to many authors, coming from tokens, tokens printed on envelope of clays and eventually leading to clay tablets. But you could also have, in the absence of writing, for example, like the Inca did in, uh, um, with, with the use of the quipus, doing, performing amazingly sophisticated uh, calculations without writing. Or um, what you see in Oceania and Papua New Guinea in many groups, you have now grammatical tools um, in the language that could, for example, codify um, certain types of you know, morphemes that would characterize number quantities for counting things you care about. For example, in this case, um, as you see in the picture, yams in the culture nan, um, work done by Nick Evans. So what's in common there is that you need a conventionalized symbolic reference for exact quantification. Now, when there is number, we all, most, most number systems are in base 5 or 10. And you would say, why is that? Well, here we have a very handy tool. All of a sudden, in front of us, you can identify fingers, and we can sort of, you know, they're readily available. So that could explain part of it. The issue is that gorillas, chimpanzees, and many species, raccoons, they also are pentadactyl, so they also have five fingers. So evolution there, giving that particular form. So we have that. We have brains that control and get all the inputs, etc. but what we don't have in these cases is symbolic reference, the capacity to actually use this as now potential tools, which doesn't come with a handbook. Cultural variations exist, um, and how you actually use the hound for counting. So here you have at the top right, Number eight being characterized bimanually, unimanually, sometimes using the fingers, sometimes using the, the, the finger joints. So number eight, if you use timber joints and the tip, would be this, for example, and so on, in some cultures. Now, when there is written exact symbolic number, it seems all this to be mediated by culturally shaped cortical phenotypical plasticity. According to this work by Tang et al., for example, they presented digits to uh, English speakers and Chinese native speakers, and they just asked to do very simple calculations. And what we observe is very different recruitment for uh, neural populations in the two groups. 
you see more uh, recruitment in the you know left hemisphere um, perisylvian area um, in the English speakers and much let's say more in uh, premodal regions for the Chinese speakers. So number then really what we have is is a language mediated conventionalized exact symbolic quantification which is a cultural trait. And this occurrently quite, quite recently and largely outside of biological evolution. So it builds on biologically evolved preconditions. We need subitizing and large quantity discrimination, but themselves, they're not mathematical or numerical. So these are motivated by cultural preoccupations, as I said, supported crucially by material and conceptual tools and the biology that makes enculturation possible. So I want to take this now to the next step. Once we have numbers, we can start creating all kinds of other things. One of a very ubiquitous, powerful tool is the number line, which now we need another system, which is to conceive numbers as locations in space, metaphorically, if you will. And this, of course, many of the talks before this, when we're using graphs to characterize amounts and so on, we do we help. It's helpful for reading um, economic graphs and look at scientific data, or develop you know, vector spaces and, and fancy visualizations and so on. What is interesting is that these days, this is learned or presented in kindergarten. So kindergartens already start to see little bunnies jumping back and forth and froggies doing jump, jumps and so on and so forth. So this has led a lot of people to think that perhaps we have, a, again, a biologically endowed mental number line which is housed in the intraparietal sulcus of the human brain. Well, that's true if you only look at Westerners who already went to school and, you know, have done all this work. So um, a lot of papers support the idea that you would have very spontaneous mappings and occurring in infants, in macaques, and more recently a paper in Science that, you know, saying that newborn chicks now, so go figure what kind of cortex they would have, um, would have actually have a mental number line like humans. Now, if that were really the case, let's cross that with some other type of data. For example, we would expect culture, number savvy cultures like Babylonian, let's say, to have some manifestation of number line somewhere in all the number crunching they did. Well, when you look at the half a million tablets that we know today, there's not a single number line there. So that says something. They did a lot of numbers without a number line. In fact, you have to go to 17th century. It's not even in La, la Geometrie by René Descartes, who invented analytic geometry. Not a single number line there either. The first appears to be um, John Napier when he's introducing of logarithms, a very sophisticated notion. And he is saying, okay, here's a line, we're going to start thinking this way. But the first who does an operational use of a number line is John Wallace. And here, if you really look at the text, he says, okay, talking, the audience is the la crème de la crème, the top of the top of the mathematicians in Europe in 17th century, saying, think of a man walking five steps and then walking two back, and that's going to be five minus two equals three. That's what you hear today in a kindergarten class, but this is now a few hundred years ago in Europe. So we also wanted to test how spontaneous is this. So we went, we did a study among the Yubno of Papua New Guinea, and we presented a line segment, and uh, following other methods that have been used in, Amazon, in, in the Amazon, and we could see that, for example, even though they had numbers up to at least 20 uh, numerals, um, they essentially mapped 
small numbers on one end and bigger to the other end, whether it was dots or tones or other things, unlike the school you know and um, California controls, as you can see on the right side. So the red one being the unschooled using only the, um, the extremes. So no use of the path whatsoever, which is required for the number line. So the intuition doesn't seem to be, again, universal in that sense. So what do we do with these abstractions? Well, we do crazy things. So of course we have the mathematicians very recently developing it, but today is introduced in the kindergarten class. But this could be taken to further directions to develop the notions of hyperreal lines. So all of a sudden now the number line and the real line, which is now housing irrational numbers and rational numbers, and by virtue of the least upper bound axiom, you have a complete order field. No more dots could fit in there. Well, you can when you go to non-Archimedean numbers. Infinitely tiny, infinitely small numbers, the epsilons you see there, or huge numbers, they're reciprocals, the omegas, that are bigger and larger than any real number. So then you start to have embedded, mutually incompatible, non-commensurable number lines embedded in, in infinitely many spots, in infinitely many of these lines. All these going back to the simple number line that we developed a few hundred years ago. So really, the story of numbers and tools and mathematics can be reduced to this process of enculturation where you do need an, a biological apparatus that would support it. So I would like to close with this quote, and I, I thank Pascal Gagneux for pointing me to this one, by geneticist and evolutionary biologist Theodosius Dobzhansky, who said, human evolution has two components, the biological or organic and the cultural or superorganic. These components are neither mutually exclusive nor independent, but interrelated and interdependent. Human evolution cannot be understood as a purely biological process, nor can it be adequately described as a history of culture. It is the interaction of biology and culture, and I think mathematics exemplifies this perfectly well. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.